It is good to be with you this morning. I didn't know if I was going to make it up here. Yeah, I was a bit of a mess there in praise and worship. Um, that's a good thing, though. It's good when God comes and just does some, just does some surgery, isn't it true? Amen. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, Josh, good to have you here all the way from right now, East London. Uh, but uh, yeah, Paul and Beth's son with us here this morning. Um, great to have you here with us, sir. If you are visiting with us this morning, welcome. It's great to have you here. If you're a regular, it's always good to have you with us. Um, you will know that last week we started a series called Back to Basics, Principles for Successful Living. And this morning, we are going to carry on with that series. So I'm going to take a couple of minutes and just try and catch us up for those of you who weren't here last week. And I know how it is. Sometimes we listen to like a quarter of what's actually said and we need a bit of a recap. I've been on the other side of this mic as well. Um, so here we go. At the moment, we're busy with this series, Back to Basics. And throughout the series, we're just really looking at at how God's Word gives us some basic principles for successful living. Um, where do we find these? We, we know the book of Proverbs, but specifically we're looking uh, right now at the Ten Commandments, looking at, at, at these, these, these principles within the Ten Commandments. Now, many people see the Old Testament, um, well, the, the, the Ten Commandments as a list of rules and regulations, kind of see them as old and outdated and, and done with. But I believe that the Ten Commandments are so much more than just that. Um, I believe that it's a list of basic principles that if we follow them and apply them, they lead to a successful life. So last week we showed you that the Ten Commandments are not obsolete, they are not outdated, and we didn't come up with that. Paul and Jesus himself said this. Paul says to us in Romans 7 verse 12, he says, The law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. Jesus went on in Matthew, um, well, earlier on, he said in Matthew 5 verse, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, to do away with the law. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And here's the thing that we need to remember. We are not saved by fulfilling the law. We are not saved by fulfilling the law. We are saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. So last week we looked at the first commandment where God says in Exodus 20 verse 3, he says, you'll have no other gods before me. And basically what he was saying is if you put me first, and give me priority in your life, success will follow. And when we, when we talk about giving God priority, it'll, it'll show in different areas in our lives. It'll show in our obedience to His Word. It'll show by us putting Him first when it comes to His Word. Then it'll also come in, in, in three different types of firsts. It'll come in giving Him the first of our day spending time in His Word and engaging with Him during the first moments of our day. It will come in, in giving Him the first of our week, coming on a Sunday being the first day of the week, and engaging with 
his people and, 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 and getting together within the gathering of the saints, spending time together as a family in Christ, in his word. And then giving him the first of our month, the first of our increase with our tithe and our offering. And these are areas that where, we, where we show that we have put God first. Whatever we, whenever we put God first and we follow his instructions, blessing follows. In Joshua 1 verse 7, it, it says it this way. It says, be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. God is saying, you follow my word, success will follow you. You follow my word, success will follow you. If we look at the Ten Commandments as we've been starting to work through them, you'll notice that the first four commandments are really about my relationship with God. And the last six commandments are really about my relationship with others. That's it. And that's for free. That has nothing to do with anything that I'm saying today. So you can write that down and take that home for free. Wasn't that cool? All right. This morning, where are we heading? We're heading to the second commandment. We find the second commandment in Exodus 20, verse 4 through 5. Well, there are a couple of scriptures, but we're specifically going to be focusing on, on Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5a. And it says this, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth, or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. It's quite a mouthful. And as we speak through it, um, you know, whenever I read stuff like this, I always go, what's the heart behind it? What, what, was, what was God's heart behind all of this? And as we spoke through it this past week, I believe that we, we need to stop and, and recognize the, even the historical relevance that was taking place right here for the, for the people of Israel. Consider where the people of Israel were at the time. They were in the desert, right? In the wilderness. And they just come out of the land of Egypt. Now the land of Egypt was full of foreign gods, full of idols. I mean, they were almost the perfectors of idol worship, the, the Egyptians. I'm talking about back then, not now just so that we don't have a whole nation against this one church. Um, but back then, the Egyptians really perfected idol worship. Um, and they had many gods, and the Israelites got sucked into it. The people of Israel, God's people, got sucked into idol worship. So God recognized that. Then he had them in the wilderness, and he knew where he was sending them. He was sending them to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And as they were going to the land of Canaan, he knew that even in the land of Canaan, there would be other gods. The people would be serving other gods and there would be other idol worship that they could get sucked into. So ultimately, God is saying to them, when you enter into the promised land, you're going to be inquisitive and you're going to be tempted. And you're going to be tempted to do what they do. 
You're going to be tempted to go with the flow. You're going to be tempted to compromise. Deuteronomy 18 verse 9, it said this. It says, when you enter the land the Lord God has given you, do not learn to, uh, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. See, what God was saying was, it's not just about, about making something out of wood and worshiping it, or, or making something out of stone and worshiping it. The best way I can describe it is, do you remember the cool kids in school? Maybe you were the cool kids in school. I don't know. I wasn't the cool kid in school. I was the kid with a black eye. That was, I was that kid. I was the really small kid with a black eye. Um, but maybe you remember the cool kids in school. Maybe you were the cool kids in school. Maybe you're sitting here and you can't remember school. <laughs> maybe you're still busy living school. So you're like trying to remember the cool kids. I don't even remember school. But, but maybe you're in school right now and you know all about the cool kids. But then you left school and you went into university and guess what were there? The cool kids. It's just they looked different and sounded different, but they were still cool kids. Then you went and you got your first job. And as you walked into your school first job, you were like, thank God, I've left the cool kids behind. But as you entered into your new job, guess who was there? The cool kids, again. And as life went on, maybe even in your own family, like your extended family, like you have the whole family, and then you have the cool kids within your family. And you can't even escape them. They're there all the time. But we all remember the cool kids. And, and the thing with the cool kids was, it didn't, they weren't necessarily doing what was right. And that's what made them cool. It wasn't that, that, they were, that they were these model students and as a result, they were cool. No, they were just the cool kids. And whatever they did, everyone else wanted to do that. Isn't that the truth? Why? Because maybe if I did what they did, I'd be associated as the cool kids. And I believe that this is exactly what's going on here. You know, that here's the thing is that God knew when he looked at Israel, he said he, he knew that they had a tendency to follow the cool kids. And when he looks at you and he looks at me, he knows that by nature, we have a tendency to follow the cool kids. You may be going, Ramon, what do you mean? Like, I'm lost. This is church. Why are you talking about cool kids? Think about your neighbor. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone else. I'm using your neighbor as an example. Maybe your neighbor, his, their standard of living is like just that notch above yours. Like their house is just that little bit nicer than yours. Maybe in their garage, they've got things parked that aren't parked in your garage. You know, maybe they invited you over for coffee and you were perfectly satisfied with your TV until you went and had coffee at their house and you saw their TV. You know, and you were like, what, we like 42 inches, that's like 60 inches, or there's a projector with a big screen and you're just nudging your wife and she knows exactly what's going through your mind. She's like, freak, we gotta keep up with the cool kids. By that stage in life, we call them the Joneses, isn't that the truth? But we look at these things and we're like, man, I want that. I, I need that. Like the want is turned into a need and I need it. 
Why? Because we have a tendency to follow. I don't know, maybe we can even bring it to a moral situation, you know. Maybe young people in this church, you know, like all my friends, they're all living together. We're dating. We've really tried to keep it clean. We've really tried to just live this life before God in, in purity and, and, and really keep it clean. But, you know, all the cool kids around us, you know, all, all our friends, they're all living together. And when we engage with them, it just it sounds so good. It just sounds like it's the way that it's meant to be. And somewhere along the line, what do we do? We just, we just follow the cool kids. We just end up down that same road. And, and, and I think, not I think, I believe that as God is talking to us through this simple scripture, I believe that what he's really saying to us is, don't follow the cool kids. I firmly believe that. Why? Because I've got something so much better for you. You see, Proverbs 14 verse 12 says this. It says, there's a path before each person that seems right. But the end of it is death, destruction, depending on your translation. So here we have the Israelites and they, they head into the land of Canaan and, and just as promised, they arrive there and these, these people that live there, they got these, these gods and, you know, it's Asherah and it's Baal and there's all this worship of Asherah and Baal. Judges 3 verse 7, it says, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because they jumped in and they followed the cool kids and they started worshiping these other gods. It says here, they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals. And the Asherahs, I believe Paul says it to us so beautifully, and I'm summing up his words here in, in Romans 1 verses 21 to 22, where he really says that they traded the glory of God. They traded the glory of God for the foolishness of idols. They traded the glory of God for the foolishness of idols. You may be going, Ramon, you know, this is great. But when you start talking about idols, we don't live back then. You know, we don't live in, in, in olden day Israel or, or, or um, Canaan or, or Egypt or any of those places. You know, we live in modern Western world. Like we don't even live in the East. I get if you were preaching this in the, in the East because in the East, idol worship is still a thing. You know, people are still worshiping idols all the time. But we're living in the modern world, you know, Western world. We don't, you know, idols aren't a thing anymore. People don't worship idols. Really? Isn't it maybe just that idols look a bit different today? Maybe instead of ma being made out of wood and stone, maybe today our idols are made out of gold and, and silver and diamonds or, or aluminium and plastic with these black rubber things. <laughs> maybe maybe our, our idols are, are made out of brick and cement. Maybe our idols are even made out of flesh and blood.
So we've got to stop and ask ourselves, so what is an idol then? An idol is something that's worshipped. An idol is really something that takes preference over God. An idol is something that has taken the place of God, where God belongs, and we've, we've given God a lower seat than this thing. An idol is something that we've, we've given our time, we've given our money, and as a result, it has our heart. We've given it our focus, our attention. And at the end of the day, we need to stop and ask ourselves, who or what have we started to, to worship? Carl Eidelman, he, uh, he's an author. He wrote a book called Gods at War. And really, the premise of it is, is based on, on this commandment. And uh, in, his, in his book, he tells the story of his um, daughter. His daughter uh, comes home the one day from, from Sunday school having, having memorized the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and he's sitting on the bed with her, and she's so proud of herself. She says, Dad, let me, let me tell you the Ten Commandments. And she rattles them off. Blah, 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 blah. Tells him all Ten Commandments. And she's so proud of herself. And he's so proud of her. But in the same moment, he, he recognizes that there's a teaching opportunity here. So he says to her, well done, my girl. Now that you know them, how are you doing with them? So she looks at him. But, you know, she's like, she's like no, Dad, I'm doing great. I'm doing absolutely fantastic. She, I think she was like nine at the time or something. She's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing really, really well with it. And I'm sure in her mind, she's ranking herself like a nine, nine and a half out of ten, you know, when it comes to the ten commandments. And he says, okay, well, let's put this to a test. You know, he's like, he's like, so my girl, when last did you lie? And like her whole demeanor changes. He says, okay, and, um, and my girl, when last did you look at one of your friend's toys and really wanted so much that you couldn't stop thinking about it? And all you wanted to do was just take it home with you. Like, when last did you, did you covet? And she gets quiet. And then he says, now nah, I know you've never killed anyone. But when last did you look at someone and, and dislike them so much, you just wish that they would leave and just never come back? And to put herself out of her own misery, she says, Dad, there's one commandment that I know I've never broken. He says, what's that, Michael? She says, I've never made for myself an idol. He said he burst out laughing and he just embraced her. And he said, my girl, that's probably the commandment that we break the most. How could he say that? Well, for the same reason that Martin Luther could say, we cannot break any of the commandments without first breaking this one. If you and I are honest... We all struggle with sin. Isn't that true? We all struggle with sin. Even the people who aren't nodding now, we all struggle <laughs> with sin. And as we are honest and open with God and allow Him to address our hearts and allow Him to dig and, and just dig with Him into our lives, we start to realize that our sin, it, it's, it's actually just the fruit it's just the stuff that people can see. It's just the stuff on the surface. But the truth is that as we dig, we find that there's actually a root called an idol. So at the root of our sin struggle lies an idol 
Now, you may be going, Ramon, this is freaking me out. So there's an idol in my life. How do I identify this idol? How do I find out if there really is an idol in my life and what does he look like and how did he get there and all of those questions. And I believe in order to really identify the idol in our lives, we need to ask ourselves this question. How many of you know that an idol doesn't, may not necessarily start off as a bad thing? It could even be a good thing. My wife is a very good example of that. She's a good thing. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. It says, when you, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. So I have confirmation that she is a good thing. And I just happen to really, really believe that. But she's a good thing in my life. However, how many of you know that if I ever gave her the affection and the love. She needs the love and affection and I need to be pouring that into her. Why? Because that's my role as a husband. I need to show her that she is the best thing that God has ever given me and treat her the way that God wants me to treat her. Correct. But the moment that there comes an imbalance where I start to give her the love and affection that belongs to God, where I elevate her in my life to above God, how many of you know that a good thing then becomes a bad thing. And I believe the biggest question we need to ask ourselves is, has a good thing become a God thing? Has a good thing become a God thing? Has a good thing become a God in my life? And I'd like to give you six questions to help us identify, has a good thing become a God thing? They're going to be up on the board there. Uh, we're going to hit them three at a time. But the first question is this. What has left you feeling most disappointed? In your life, what has left you feeling most disappointed? <clears throat> if you're not sure, ask yourself this. What do I complain about the most? What do I complain about the most? If you don't know, ask your loved ones. They know exactly what you complain about the most. Secondly, what do you sacrifice most of your time and money to? Thirdly, sorry, on the second one, go look at your diary. Go look at your bank statements. They may identify something for you. Thirdly, what do you worry about? What consumes you? What do you worry about? Fourth, where do you go when you're hurt and need comfort? Where do you go when you're hurt and you need comfort? Is it a, is it a substance? Is it, is it a person? Is it a website? Where do we go? Where do we go when we're hurt and we need comfort? Fifth, what makes you mad? What makes you, like, what just gets under your skin and what makes you mad? And then lastly, what do you dream about? What are you most passionate about? And I want to say this, if as you're answering those questions and the same thing keeps popping up, it should be a really good indication of where the idol just might be. So what am I saying? What am I putting before God? What am I putting before God? What is taking God's rightful place 
in my life. You know, we're busy right now with a series called Back to Basics, uh, Principles for Successful Living. And when I think of that word success, I think we can warp it so badly in our minds because the moment we talk about being successful, I, I think a lot of us think about just climbing the corporate ladder. Isn't that the truth? You know, like, like building up bank, having a bank balance that makes people, you know, then I'm successful. When, when, I, when I look at the statement, the success that, that, that I see here is when I think of success, I think about lives that please God. When I live a life that pleases God, I believe I'm living a successful life. It, not, it might not be to the world standard. It might not be to the standard of my neighbor or the cool kids. But when I live a life that legitimately pleases God and honors God, I believe I'm living a successful life. And a life that, life that pleases God brings success. We saw it last week, uh, Psalm 1 verse 1 through 3, it says, Blessed are those who don't hang out with all of these folks and, and uh, to the point where you're influenced by them. And, and blessed is the man who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his word we meditate both day and night. And then it goes and it talks about the overflow of what that looks like. In the last line in verse 3 it says, whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. A life that honors God, whatever he does prospers. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about these principles for successful living. I believe that as we follow these principles, we start to live lives that look like Jesus. I don't have a greater desire in my life than the desire to look like Jesus. And I believe that God looks at you and God looks at me and he says... You know, I created you, you're mine, and I created you for a purpose, and I created you to look different. I didn't create you to blend in. I didn't create you to look like the cool kids. I created you to look different. I created you to be salt and light. I created you to be my flavor for this world. I created you to be light in dark places. That's why I created you. I created you to be different. I created you as my own special people. And I've created you to live by my measure of success. There's a, a famous ethics poster at Boeing, uh, the airplane company. And it reads like this. It says, between right and wrong is a troublesome gray area. Let me repeat it. Between right and wrong is a troublesome gray area. What are we saying? The problem with a gray area is this. We usually don't go from right to wrong in one decision. Isn't that the truth? We usually don't go to right, from right to wrong in one decision. It's usually the case where we've made several decisions from right to end up at wrong. 
See, it's a process of compromise and doing what everyone else is doing. And as we've spoken through this, this is really what happened with the nation of Israel. Every time God blessed them, they became casual. And they started compromising and moving away from God and worshiping idols. I think one of the, one of the most vivid and one of the saddest examples of this was King Solomon. You know, King Solomon was, you know, he was a king that started so well. Man, he started well. He was a young king who, who, who legitimately sought God's kingdom first. And then we saw how everything else was added. Just like Matthew 6.33 tells us. We saw that through his life. And he really, really experienced this this life immersed in God. And God has this moment with, with Solomon and he says, Solomon, I will give you whatever you want. What do you want? What do you want? I'll give it to you right now. And let's be honest, Solomon could have asked for anything. And if you and I were in that position, which we've all fantasized about, if we're honest, we would have probably gone, Lord, make me super wealthy that I can help everyone. Isn't that that I can help everyone has to kind of be attached to it so that God will actually do it. You don't have to look like, yeah, okay. Oh, Lord, give me power. Give me power so that I can lead people and really change things in this nation or whatever the case may be. It's amazing. Solomon doesn't even go there. He just said, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, I need wisdom. Give me wisdom that I can lead your people well. Please, Lord, give me wisdom. And God says, my boy, it's yours. I give it to you. Here's wisdom. And, and because you've asked me for wisdom, I'm not just going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you wealth beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to give you wealth beyond your wildest dreams. And God blessed him and gave him tremendous success through the wisdom that he gave him. And he gave him tremendous wealth at the same time. If we had to compare the fortune of Solomon with, with, with people of, of modern times, it's quite ridiculous. Um, if we look at Henry Ford's wealth, it was estimated at about $199 billion, not rand. Uh, $199 billion. Uh, Andrew Carnegie, $310 billion. John Rockefeller, $663 billion US dollars. King Solomon, $2.1 trillion US dollars. I think he wins. His fortune dwarfed every other wealthy person that we can think of. Here's the sad part. He started worshiping idols. You see, what happened in, in Solomon's life is that as he would sign a treaty for peace with a, with, a, with a foreign king, part of that treaty was that he'd have to take on the king's daughter as his wife. So with a foreign king came a foreign daughter which turned into a foreign bride and brought with foreign gods. That would have been really bad if you did it once. 
He did it 700 times. He had 700 wives. You think that's bad? He had 300 concubines, so he had 1,000 women in his house. You think you're having a bad day. It's amazing how we don't have to say too much right there. <laughs> but here this guy, this guy opens himself up to this, to this, to this junk. These idols. And after everything that God had done for him, the very thing that God told his people not to do, Solomon does. The, the very thing that God warns us of in, in, in the second commandment, Solomon does. And, and here was a king who, who probably could have gone down in history as one of the greatest kings ever. But sadly, Solomon ends up being remembered, yes, for his wisdom, but for the end of his life. He gets remembered as a, as a failure. He gets remembered as a disgrace. One scholar described his life as the most terrible tragedy the world has ever seen. Why? Because he followed the crowd. What crowd? Well, he had a thousand wives. There's the crowd right there. And he followed their idols. He followed their gods. He started to worship them. And he allowed his heart to be owned by the things and not by the creator of the things. Right now, we've got a, we've got a video that I want to play. Um... It's called Clear the Stage, and it's by a guy by the name of Jimmy Needham. So this is going to sound weird in the congregation now, but if you're listening on podcast, go YouTube the video, um, Clear the Stage. Uh, and I'm going to keep quiet now and just let it run, and then we'll chat after that. Thank you, guys. And as we just consider the words of that song, At the end of the day, folks, you and I, we were, we were created to worship. We were created to worship, and we're going to worship something. What are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? What are we giving our affections to? What are we giving our time to? What are we giving our money to? What are we giving our love to? What has your heart? What has my heart? An honest question for us to ask ourselves. Is it possible, is it possible that we are trading the glory of God for the love of idols? There's that line in that song where he says, clear the stage. Um, what, what, what's that first line? Um, oh, I've forgotten it now. Um, clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to crush 
the idols. Folks, in our lives, what do we need to set ablaze? What do we need to set on fire? What do we need to burn? What do we need to get rid of to crush the idols in our lives? To stop following the cool kids. To start following the principles of God's word. Life-changing principles. To start following his heart for your life, for my life. To realize that he didn't create us to blend in or look the same. But that he created us to stand out, to be different. That he created us to set the tone, to be the flavor, to be the light. And all of this starts at one place. Give God his rightful place. Right now, I, I didn't prepare you, but it's just kind of happened. Um, we're going to do that new song that we, that we did earlier. And here's what I'm going to ask. As we do this song, it, it talks about, about God destroying the mountains that are in our lives. And, and as we put up that list, some stuff may have been popping up in your life and you're going, Ramon, it's easier said than done. You don't understand what, what a hold this thing has on my life. You don't understand how big this thing just feels in my life. Right here this morning. We're going to do this new song, and, and, and as it's playing, you may stand, you may sit. I don't really mind. What I'm asking is do business with God. Right there, just do business with God and just say, Lord, there's this thing in my life that I recognize today that I've given your affection, the affection that belongs to you, I've given to this thing. The attention that you deserve, I've given to this thing. And Lord, today, today I, just, I lay this thing at your feet, Lord. I surrender it and I say, Lord, today I don't want it anymore, Lord. Today I want to set this thing on fire so that you can do business here and, and, and crush this thing because it just feels too big for me. And as we do this song, would you just take that time? Just do business with God. Thank you, Duncan.